G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Coming up today on The Story. You know, I didn't go to Christian camp when I was younger. My God, in a way, was my basketball. Uh, I spent all summers at camp. That was my dream. And I actually went to a tryout camp in a place called Cookville, Tennessee. And I was an All-American in university, so I thought I might have a good chance. And I think the second day of tryouts, I realized the athletes who go on to make it to the upper level, they were out of my league. The story. The story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, Jeff Vines is a successful author, pastor and Bible teacher, and his radio program is heard throughout Australia and the world. But what isn't as well known about him is that at one point in his life, his main goal was to become a professional basketball player. And when this didn't work out, he initially was devastated. So why did he give up on his hoop dreams to teach God's Word? We'll find out today as Jeff Vines shares his life journey. Jeff is chatting with Phil Edwards from his home in Los Angeles, California. Let's start at the beginning. Where where did it all begin for you? <laughs> well, I was born in Tennessee. That's the southern region of the United States. And uh, it's where you have both hicks and hillbillies. And it's important that you know the difference. Uh, <laughs> the hicks are my people. And those are in the eastern part of Tennessee. And a hick is defined as somebody who usually has uh, a, a pickup truck and sings country music and uh, has a rifle in the back of the truck, uh, has okay. a dog, and sings songs about his dog and his truck and how his wife left him, but she came back. Okay, so that's a hick. And a hillbilly is more of uh, someone who lives uh, in the western or eastern part of Kentucky. And uh, they're very unique in that uh, most of them are uh, people who remain uh, in their section of the U.S. They don't travel uh, very far outside. And so their families grow up generation after generation after generation in that same area and uh, hold the city together and hold down the jobs. And uh, they have a very unique culture. They write a lot of music for Appalachia. And if you've ever heard that term, the Appalachian Trail, uh, most of the people who are referred to as hillbillies live on that trail. And it's not a derogatory term at all. I know most people who hear that think of Jed Clampett and the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> yeah. but. But it's just a, it's a unique uh, group of people who, by the way, have incredible values and so uh, uh, are, are usually very religious people and, uh, and to a, a great degree honorable people. And so there is a difference. So I come more from the hick side of where the pickup trucks and the dogs and the, <laughs> and the, and the rifles and love to hunt. <laughs> and so um, uh, that's where it all began for me in the eastern part of Tennessee. And I spent my life there going to high school. And then, then I went to university about two hours uh, east of my home in Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh, that's where I met my wife, Robin. Uh, who was the daughter of a missionary who was doing work in Africa for over 30 years, planting over 30 churches in the bush of Zambia and Mm -hmm. Zimbabwe, which was then northern and southern Rhodesia. And so when I went on a basketball scholarship to Johnson University, uh, she was a senior, I was a freshman, and we met. I always joke with her that it took you four years to find the right guy, and you almost missed him. And so she was finishing, and I was just beginning, but we met. 
and fell in love, and she took me to Africa and opened the world to me. And then from there, uh, we did ministry together in church planting. I came back, went to seminary at Cincinnati Christian Seminary, and then we were called to New Zealand to plant churches there on the, on the North Island in a place called Albany. And that's where uh, I began to become more familiar with New Zealand and Australia. Spent 10 years there, raised both my kids there, and, uh, and then ended up coming back to the U.S. and became a teaching pastor in Savannah, Georgia at a, at a very large church there under Cam Huxford. And then within two years, the elders here in Los Angeles had made the journey across the U.S. and were determined uh, to inform me that God had told them that I was their next pastor. So I listened to God, and I was, and here I am, uh, and I've been here since uh, uh, 2008 was my first year. So mm. that's a lot the of real diff- part of, yeah. I yeah a lot ahead. of different experiences there, having lived in, in Africa, in New Zealand, uh, in different parts mm. of, the, of the U.S., yeah, that's that's the general part of my story. The, the the more specific part of my story is my entire life was lived for the game of basketball. Uh, you know, I, I, I trained hard when I was younger. My goal was to play at university, then to go into the NBA. Uh, you know, I didn't go to Christian camp when I was younger. My God, in a, in a way, was my basketball. Mm. Uh, I spent all summers at camp. Uh, I did everything necessary. I was in the gym. I was on the track. I, that was my dream. And I actually went to a tryout camp in a place called Cookville, Tennessee. And I was an All-American in university, so I thought I might have a good chance. And I think the second day of tryouts, I realized that I had been a big fish in a very small pond. And uh, I realized that the athletes who go on to make it to the upper level, uh, they were out of my league. That was a that was a hard reality to face too. You know, when you come from a smaller section and you think, "Hey, I can do this," and you've been told how wonderful you are all your life, and suddenly you realize you're just not that good. Yeah, reality <laughs> kicks in. And uh, at that point, you know, I remember going back to the uh, locker room and thinking, "What am I going to do with the rest of my life?" And suddenly, it wasn't audible. Suddenly, it's like God said to me, okay, you've done what you've wanted to do for all your life. Now I own you. <laughs> time for and a different ball I, game. I, time for a different ball game. And then God started opening doors in my life. I'd always been a Christ follower. I don't think I had been as committed as I needed to be. But at that point in my life, uh, I felt like the rug had been pulled out for, from under me. And I turned to the only place I knew to turn to that my parents had taught me to turn to, that my church had taught me to turn to. And I turned to God, and it, it was more than just being a, a fully devoted Christ follower now. It was very clear that he had his hand on my life from the beginning, and he was going to call me to preach and teach the gospel, and I really never looked back. Just a few minutes ago, Jeff, you said uh, along the lines that you know basketball was your life. It was consuming you effectively, and then you got to this point of realizing that uh, actually maybe I'm not as good <laughs> as I, I need to be to make it in the big time where I want to be. Mm-hmm. And I guess there was a sense of brokenness there. Would that be would that be right? Oh, absolutely. I I thought my life was over because basketball was my whole purpose. In in a way, it was my God. It's the thing that I worshipped and served. <laughs> and when it came to an end, when it didn't deliver, I, did, I I I was really broken. You said that at that point you came back to the, I guess the seeds that had been sown. It weren't your exact words, but you know along the lines of the things that you knew that your parents had taught you. What were those things? Yeah, you know, Phil, I had a great awakening in that moment uh, because I think all of us in the beginning uh, come to Jesus, and I'm not sure, this is not a bad thing, I think it's just part of the immaturity in the beginning, but we're more interested in getting Jesus on board with our plan, and we're hoping that he will help us get the idols of our lives. Now, I know idol's a strong word, but 
all of us have something that we want to achieve in life. And I was no different. You know, I, I was diligent in my prayer time and in my church going when I was younger. But in the back of my mind, my, my thought process was this. Man, if, I, if I'm loyal to God and I honor him by going to church and praying and reading my Bible, then he's going to honor me and help me get what I want. And I think a lot of us come to Christ in the beginning in that way, which is okay in the beginning, but you're supposed to grow out of that and get to the point where you realize, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to get God on board with my plan. He's trying to get me on board with his. Mm. And when it came to the point when I realized that my basketball career was over, it, you know, I didn't even want to play for fun anymore. I realized I had spent so much time on something that wasn't going to deliver. I remembered... Uh, so it was the small things uh, that my mom and my dad taught me when I was growing up. You know, my mom always read the Bible to us every night, a Bible story. And I remember my father, and uh, my father was, believe it or not, I know you've met me, so I'm 6'4 and about 195 pounds. My dad was about 5'8". <laughs> my dad was a little guy. My mom was taller, but my dad was a, he was a little guy. And uh, he had a stutter because his father had beaten him pretty severely when he was growing up. Mm. Uh, so my, my father had a father that was uh, very unkind. In fact, my dad used to tell me of stories where his father would take him behind a, uh, a little shed and, and actually strike him with a shovel. Ooh, wow. And so my dad, even in his 40s and 50s, walked bent over and had severe back problems. But you know what? My dad had a mother that was such a godly woman, I think she saved his life. And my father met my mother, and both of them decided that they would teach their kids about the way of the Lord, about the way of Christ, because they both knew that without Christ, there's just no meaning, no real significance in life. And so when everything kind of came to a head, I remembered the words of my father, that, who often told us, and here's a guy that did not make a lot of money, Phil. He, you know, we, we, we were four boys in a little room in East Tennessee there. You know, my brothers and I shared one bedroom when we were smaller. Four boys, one bedroom, two double bunk beds. And then as we got a little older, moved into the city, I think there were two bedrooms now, so two a room, so that was a little better. Still squeezy. We were never wealthy. Yeah, still squeezy. And we were never wealthy. We, my, I, I, it wasn't until my father died that I realized they lived, my father and my mother, they lived uh, basically week to week, month to month. But my dad always had an envelope on the mantle of our living room, and in the envelope it said, God's money. My father believed that you gave your very best to God because he was the only thing that you could truly, truly trust in, the only eternal thing that really, really mattered. And I remember my father telling me through the course of my basketball career, I don't know how many times he put his hand on my shoulder, and it's maybe because he saw this coming. He'd put his hand on my shoulder and say, hey, basketball's fun. It's a game. But it's not your life, Jeff. Now, I think, oh, okay, Dad, thanks for that, and I'd move on. Basketball's fun. It's just a game. But it's not your life, Jeff. And of course, my father died young, and so did my mother. And by the time I realized what my dad meant, you know, I didn't have him around really to really invest in me more than he already had, but it was really enough. It was truly enough. Because it dawned on me right then and there that there's something bigger and better, something that you live your life for that is outside yourself, something that is bigger than yourself. And at that point, I really turned to God. And I said, God, help me. What do I do now? Where do I go from here? And one door after another door began to open. I found myself 
going into ministry. I found myself going to Africa because I met this beautiful woman that, quite frankly, I didn't go to Africa to preach the gospel. I went to Africa to chase a woman. And it just so happens I caught her, and along the way, God stole my heart as I tried to steal hers for the people of Zimbabwe. That called me in. The, and then there's so many so many uncanny experiences, filled too, because when I was in Zimbabwe, I went there to coach basketball at the University of Zimbabwe. When we went back as a married couple, I didn't go into ministry. I went to coach basketball, but the pastor of the English-speaking church in Harare lost his work permit. The mission board came to me and said, Jeff, it's you or nobody. You're the only one in the country. You're going to have to be the pastor of this church. And so then I learned suddenly how much I enjoyed studying. Not so much the delivery of the message, but actually the study and the reading was so enjoyable for me. And of course, now that's paid huge dividends because there's this huge reservoir of my reading and study mm. that I can call or recall at any moment when we're talking about a topic, a spiritual topic. So that's all God, though. I never planned to be a preacher, never planned to go to Africa, I never planned to be a missionary, never planned to go to New Zealand, never planned to go to Los Angeles. And here we are living our lives and doing the work of God, and I'm happier than I've ever been because I found my sweet spot. In fact, this happiness has been in my life since my early 30s. You're listening to The Story. Today, pastor and radio Bible teacher Jeff Vines is sharing his life journey and how he originally wanted to become a professional basketball player. We'll hear more of his story and some of the life lessons he's learned along the way when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're back with more of Phil Edwards chatting with radio Bible teacher Jeff Vines, whose program is heard throughout Australia and the world. As we heard before the break, Jeff originally wanted to become a professional basketball player, but God had other plans. Next, Jeff shares more of his story and some of the challenges he's faced in ministry. You uh, went off, as you said, to Africa, not so much for ministry, but chasing after the lady. <laughs> Who you caught, I should say. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> Literally, I think God had me chase her because otherwise he knew he could never uh, promote or produce in me a passion for Zimbabwe. Yeah. He had to get me there. And to get me there, he, he dropped this beautiful woman as bait. Now, I don't mean that my wife's bait. I got to be careful there. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, uh, you know, you, you chasing her opened the world to me, and I think God wanted me to see something. I ended up getting both because I obeyed and followed God's call to go to Africa and to go to see what this woman, Robin, was all about. Because, incidentally, I really believe that Robin was the one for me. I believe that God was telling me this is the woman that I have for you. And I believe that uh, God was telling Robin, this is the man I have for you, because both of us had been in relationships before. Mm -hmm. In fact, Robin and I actually broke up three times before we actually settled in to one another because her heart was for Africa and my heart was for the U.S. And I was very clear that I wasn't going to leave, and she was very clear this is where God's called me. So I had to go and visit before she captured my heart and God captured my heart as well for Africa. 
Now, you mentioned before we were talking about uh, your change of heart. Your basketball was your life. Mm. You came to this realisation that, you know, I'm probably not going to make the big league. Uh, mm. and, and that was very confronting and challenging for you. But it opened the way for God to change your heart toward what you're doing today. Reminds me of a scripture in Psalm 37, verse 4, which says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And it's easy to look at that scripture and go, well, you know, delight yourself in the Lord and then he will make the things that you are already, you know, desire happen. It's not always our desires are actually the things that he wants for us. I think it's actually more about delight yourself in the Lord and he will actually change your heart and align yours to his. Do you, what do you reckon about that? I, I think that's that's a great way to look at it. I think, uh, you know, one of my mentors for years said that when the Spirit of God comes into you, he not only changes what you do, but he changes what you want to do. Mm. And that is true. Your passions change over time as you give yourself over to God. In fact, in ministry, I mean, I'm 35, 36 years into this now and counseling people and watching the way God works in people and, of course, my own life. And I can tell you that there are so many of us that will never live this great adventure of uh, of contentment and joy, this overarching sense of joy in our lives because we've heard from God. We know that we're supposed to make a change, but even though the life we're presently living is not that enjoyable, we see it as safe. Uh, I, wasn't, it, wasn't it Lucy in the line, The Witch in the Wardrobe, who asked the question, is he good or is he safe? And the response comes back re- referring to the Christ figure. Is he safe? No. Who said anything about safe? But he's good. Mm. So the adventures that we can have when we follow the direction of the Lord in courage, that's really what we're looking for. And I think with basketball, the thing that I was trying to gain from it, it could never deliver anyway. But I had to lose it before I realized the things ultimately for which I was searching were only found in my relationship with Jesus. And it just so happens in my life, he called me to be a preacher, teacher, in missions, but he might call other people to do something totally different. But the point is, he's the one that we move toward if we want that overarching joy and peace. And C.S. Lewis said, if you pursue earth, you lose earth and heaven, but if you pursue heaven, you get earth thrown in. And I think that's your point. Pursue God, and he'll fill the desires of your heart. Yeah, that's good stuff. I mean, for you, basketball was the safe place. And I love what you said that your dad said, you know, put his hand on your shoulder and said, Jeff, you know, basketball's fun. It's a game, but it's not your life. Uh, All of us could, you know, take the basketball and insert something else in there. And it's like God putting his hand on our shoulder and saying, you know, fill your job or your whatever is, uh, is fun and it's good, but it's not your life. Yeah, my, you know, the more I talk and think about it, too, my dad was very wise. He uh, came, again, he came from a very poor family, had a very difficult childhood, but he had a mother who taught him the ways of God. And I remember my dad, you know, my dad said things years before counselors did, because my dad would often say to me, Jeff, be careful. Your mother sometimes tries to live her life vicariously through you. She loves your success. (laughs) Be careful. Let me tell you something. Basketball is just a game. It's fun, but it's not your life. Dad was smart. Dad was very clever. Yeah, that's good. So this whole idea of adventure and getting into spaces that aren't necessarily your Mm. safe space, is there one that springs to mind for you in all your time, you know, in Africa or in New Zealand or in the U.S., where you could go, this was definitely not my comfortable space but i i was in the right place oh yeah i remember that the, the you know it's i always liken it phil to uh <laughs> i'm a back to the future buff man i love that stuff i love those three <laughs> movies the space time continuum which, all the time travel which character are i you? don't know why 
Uh, well, I, I, I've got to be uh, uh, Emmett Brown. That's that's got to be me. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Marty. <laughs> going back fly. to the old West. <laughs> so I I don't know why, but I love the analogy of every time you know when they're when they're on the old west and they're trying to get back to 1985. The logs have to burn hot enough to get to the next level. So there are three explosions. And I always liken that to my life. I feel like I've had three explosions in my life that have catapulted me toward this deeper commitment and relationship with Jesus that has given me so much joy. The first was when I lost basketball. The second is when I went to Africa, and then the third happened just recently, and that's uh, I've talked about that quite openly, and it's when I went through about three years of severe anxiety disorder, and uh, you know, it, it, I, I'm not going to go into what all that means, and uh, trying to explain that is such a waste of time. However, in the middle of it, a friend of mine said to me simply this, Jeff, as long as you fight this, it's going to get worse. You got to come to a point where you see it as friend, not foe. I said, how can I see this as friend? This is horrible. My heart's racing. My blood pressure's up. I feel like I'm going to die. And he said, you got to ask the question, what does God want to say to me in this season of my life? And if you will take a deep breath and relax and seek him, you'll find. And that was the third catapulting of my life because I realized God was saying something very clear to me. Now, this may be difficult, and I think most pastors need to hear this, and I I know that I still need to hear it, and it's this. You can go into ministry, and it's an honorable thing, but you can even use ministry, ministry for a sense of significance. You can use ministry as an idol. You can base your significance on how big your church is or your latest book or how many people listen to your sermon or your podcast. You can get to the point where your happiness, the ebb and flow of your joy, go up and down based on how popular or how successful you are. And in that way, ministry this becomes another idol. It's no different than basketball. And so in my life, about eight years ago, God had to break me and to show me, look, a lot of the pressure you're putting on yourself, you're putting it on your own self. That doesn't come from me. The things you're doing, I'm not asking you to do. You're doing them so that you can have your name known, so that people will know who you are. This is a God to you. It is an idol to you. And I thought, wow, ministry can become an idol And God had to break me so that after those three years, I got to the point where I couldn't leave my house in the morning until I had spent at least a half an hour, 45 minutes in prayer or devotions or just reading the Bible. And then over time, as I started to see that as friend rather than foe, and that God was doing something in me, is amazing. Uh, And the doctor couldn't explain it either, the anxiety uh, disorder, uh, those what we call panic attacks just subsided and they went away. And they went away because God had no more use for them. Now, I'm not saying that everyone who experiences depression or anxiety that God is doing something to them. I know this, these are deeper issues. But I can tell you that in my personal life, God took this chaos in my life and he brought beauty and pattern and design to it so that he could accomplish his best work in me. And I'm glad that I took a deep breath and said, okay, God, this is a this is a territory that is unchartered, and I, I'm a little nervous and a little fearful, but I'm going to walk in it if you're going to achieve your purpose. And now, Phil, I'm, I mean, if you would have known me 10 years, and we've had some connection, but if you would have known me before this disorder, I'm not sure you would have liked me. Uh, it's a beautiful thing to get to a point in your life where you really don't care what people think about you. The only person you live your life for is an audience of one. And when you do that, 
You don't mind who gets the credit for whatever happens. You don't have to be heard all the time. You don't have to be liked by everyone. Your true significance and meaning ultimately comes from God. And because we know God is pleased with us because of the work of Christ, that joy that is internal, that defeats anxiety and depression and fear and worry and doubt, all of that will dissipate under the cross. And you're going to be, I'm telling you, the, the final, these final years of my life, I'm probably in the third or fourth quarter, these years of my life have been the most enjoyable because I'm at peace, at peace with myself. Mm, it's good stuff. Thanks for being uh, just really transparent, Pastor Jeff. That was Phil Edwards having a chat with author, pastor, and radio Bible teacher Jeff Vines, whose program is heard right here on Vision Christian Radio and on several other stations throughout the world. Jeff also has an international TV program and he became the lead pastor of One and All Church in California in 2008. Jeff is also the author of several books, including Dinner with Skeptics, Defending God in a World That Makes No Sense. To find out more about Jeff's media ministry, you can go to his website. It's oneandall.media. That's oneandall.media. Finally, I just want to highlight two points that were made in today's conversation. Phil Edwards quoted Psalm 31, verse 4, which says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And he pointed out that sometimes God changes the desires of our hearts instead of just giving us whatever we desire in the first place. It's a very key insight for all of us to learn from. Secondly, Jeff Vines quoted a wise saying from C.S. Lewis that says, If you pursue earth, you will get neither earth nor heaven. But if you aim at heaven, you will get earth thrown in. And that's some more wisdom for us all to learn from. Earth is not our home or our main focus. We are just passing through. But if we aim at heaven and seek first the kingdom of God, an abundant life on earth will be thrown in. Well, thanks for joining us for Jeff Vine's story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. He met a, a family from this Christian hot rod club and uh, became really good friends with them and met up with the rest of the club. I have to be honest, that one thing that I really noticed about them is they never walked around pretending that life was fantastic. You know, we, we got to know them enough and got quite close with some people that, you know, we realised that they have struggles and problems just like everybody else. Sonia Moses' life seemed to be sliding downhill after a horrific car accident that left her wondering if she would ever walk again. However, her and her husband's involvement in a Christian hot rod club led to their lives being completely transformed. We'll find out how next time. The story. the story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. 